five, six, seven, eight. Hello. And welcome to Breaking the Curtain. Yay. <laughs> we wanted to try something new. <laughs> we love trying all the new different ways to entertain you here at Breaking the Curtain. And yes. that is our latest attempt. I'm sure that the other ones will be much more exciting in the future. <laughs> Anyways, it is a lovely evening here. And we have just sat down to bring you all a new show history episode. But it's about a show we've already done. Okay, so you're probably confused as to why we have yet another Bat Out of Hell show history episode. But here's the thing. Our previous episode all about Bat Out of Hell was our first try at a show history, and we're not afraid to admit it wasn't our best in terms of information. We've definitely gotten better at making a clear difference between what is a conversation and what is a show history informative episode. Unfortunately, last month we lost Jim Steinman, the creator of Bat Out of Hell, and so we want to honor his legacy with a true show history to showcase all of his hard work over the years to make this musical happen. The other episode will still be available for you to listen to, just under a different title. We also have some very exciting news to share coming up, so you're going to want to stay tuned. So strap on your helmet and let's ride right on into this episode. Bat Out of Hell is a post-apocalyptic rock and roll love story. Set in a dystopian future in the year 2030, the island of Manhattan, now renamed Obsidian, has floated out to sea and is now under the reign of Falco, the tyrannical ruler set on revitalizing the city. Living in the abandoned subway tunnels underneath the city are a group of genetically altered teenagers known as The Lost, who just so happen to be frozen at the age of 18. Freezers. <laughs> when Strat, the reckless, rebellious leader, meets Falco's sheltered daughter Raven on the eve of her 18th birthday, the stars align and they fall headfirst into the wonder of first love. Which they'll apparently do anything but that for. Although the show takes place in 2030, we are going all the way back to 1968, where we see the very first glimpses of Bad Out of Hell in Jim Steinman's work. As a student studying at Amherst College in Massachusetts, Jim wrote a musical called Ball, based on Bertolt Brecht's first play, also titled Ball. The following year, 1969, ideas from that musical had progressed into a musical called The Dream Engine, a musical that was used to fulfill the requirements for an independent study course in his senior year. Jim himself played the role of Ball, and Barry Keating, co-creator and director of the project, also played the role of the historian-slash-narrator. The Dream Engine, set in a satirical dystopian 1969, is the story of a young boy named Ball who, along with his rebel friends, doesn't accept the restraints and limits of their society. Ball is the leader of a self-assembled group of wild boys called the Tribe, whose mortal enemies are Max and Emily, the parents of the girl, a young woman with whom Ball has fallen in love with. In 1977, the same year the Bad Out of Hell album recorded by Meatloaf was released, a workshop was held for a work-in-progress musical titled Neverland, largely adapted from the Steinman Keating material developed for the Dream Engine. It was also loosely sourced material from J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. Starting to sound familiar? <laughs> That's because many years later, elements of this material would be revised and reimagined 
transitioned into what we now know as Bad Out of Hell the Musical. Jim Steinman's ongoing project transformed into Bad Out of Hell the Musical. We now have Strat instead of Ball, Wendy became Raven, and Falco and Sloane instead of Max and Emily. With all of these changes in order, Bad Out of Hell went into the developmental stage with a lab held in New York City's Pearl Studios in 2015, which led the show to opening in Manchester at the Manchester Opera House for previews from February 17th to April 29th, 2017. The general consensus seemed to be that the show was a great night at the theater. Although there were some plot holes and a lack in some character development, those who saw this version of the show still claim it to be their favorite. And it's not hard to understand why. This particular version clocked in at over three hours long and featured cool effects such as Raven flying during the Heaven Can Wait scene and also featured Good Girls Go to Heaven, which is arguably the strongest song on the cast recording, in my opinion. With cuts made to the length of the show by removing dialogue, scenes, and songs, the show made its way to London's West End, playing a limited run at the London Coliseum from June 5th to August 22nd, 2017. Those who saw the show in Manchester made their way over to London, making the start to wearing costumes to the show, opening and closing night sing-alongs outside of the theatre, fan dinner parties, and more. Bad Out of Hell was quickly becoming a musical phenomenon. During this time, the show saw the return of making love out of nothing at all, new costumes, as well as more structured storyline and character Character development. Audience members were also greeted to an informative newspaper on their seat, set in the Obsidian universe, explaining the backstory of the Lost to go along with the text flashing on the show's curtain before Act 1, which we had seen since the Manchester run. Bat Out of Hell also gained more publicity with television appearances on The X Factor and a TV spot promo giving a first look into the show. After adding an extension, cuts were made once again to the show, including the removal of fan-favorite scene, It Just Won't Quit. During the final performance, it was announced the show would be returning to the West End during the following year. The original production of Bad Out of Hell with members of the original cast made its way over to Toronto, Canada's Ed Mervish Theatre for the musical's North American premiere from October 14th to January 7th, 2018. During the end of this run, we saw the biggest cast change to date in preparation for the London, England return. Bad Out of Hell ran at the Dominion Theatre, London. Although fans were gripped by photos and whispers of yet another reworked version of the show, some even holding out hope for the return of songs. The only big changes made was the addition of a monologue for Sloane, a few cut moments, some reworked lyrics and dialogue, most of which were replaced by the original versions by the following performance, and a flaming heart during the curtain call, which now had also been cut down to just the chorus of the title song. During the Dominion run, a Bad Out of Hell North American tour was announced, led by the original Strat Andrew Pollock, and for the first time it featured an all-American company including Emily Schultes as Raven, Bradley Dean as Falco, and Lulu Lloyd as Sloan. Longtime fans of the show were skeptical by rumors made of many songs, characters, and scenes being cut. And while Falco's solo in The Land of the Pig had been the only section in the show to be removed, it actually made room for much-needed dialogue within multiple scenes as well as character growth to pull the story together and tie up any loose ends that had developed from former cuts made. Choreography was revised by Zena Gustart, creating a more coherent style. Despite the show selling at a capacity better than the previous run, the tour was abruptly
abruptly canceled without any explanation, forcing cast members to quite literally pack up and leave with only a two-day notice before their opening night in Detroit. During the final performance of the U.S. tour, Bad Out of Hell started previews at the Metronome Theater in Oberhausen, Germany on November 2, 2018, officially opening on November 8th, where it ran until September 19, 2019. The entire show was translated into German for this production, and it also featured an entirely new company of performers. Although it was announced that Bad Out of Hell would be doing three of the postponed tour dates leading up to a run at New York City Center Off-Broadway, they were later cancelled completely and the show went to New York City from August 1st to September 8th, 2019, with members of the U.S. tour, along with original cast members, Andrew Pollack, Christina Bennington, and Danielle Steers. The production also featured Tony Award winner Lena Hall in the role of Sloan. Not many changes were made from the tour version off-Broadway, but there was still enough of a difference within the vibe of the show to make it feel like a completely different version. On November 25th, 2019, it was announced that an arena tour of Bad Out of Hell the Musical would be taking place in Australia in June 2020. On December 5th, 2019, an announcement was made that a UK tour of the show would be taking place in September 2020, leading into 2021. A series of runs were also announced at Hard Rock Cafe Hotels in the US from March to April 2020. These different tours would all feature predominantly the same cast, with the exception of original cast members Sharon Sexton and Rob Fowler, who are set to do only the UK dates. Today we have some very exciting news for you. After this batty year, we're thrilled that Bat is back, baby. Yes, Bat Out of Hell the Musical will be touring the UK and Ireland in 2021 and 2022. Performances begin on September 11th, 2021 at the Manchester Opera House. Tickets for the tour are now on sale. We have the full press release and tour dates on both of our blogs, Break a Leg, and Both Sides of the Curtain for you to easily make your ticket purchases. Casting will be announced soon and we cannot wait to celebrate these new rock stars. And now we have some fun facts about Bad Out of Hell the Musical. Body doubles are used during scenes for camera work moments when the cast members are still on stage. The character Strat often wears a shirt depicting Jim Steinman as Ball in the Dream Engine 1969 as a nod to the roots of the show. Germany was the longest running version of Bad Out of Hell the Musical! Yay Germany! Despite being a more unfamiliar song in comparison to others featured, Who Needs the Young is actually the oldest song in the show. Okay, since we chatted all about our experiences seeing the show in our previous episode, we've compiled some listener questions as well as some from our lovely friends to answer. Jocelyn, here's our first question. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, what is your favorite costume in the show? Unacceptable that I'm only allowed to pick one. I'm going to give you three. I will accept three. Because that's what we're doing today. So number one, Raven's wedding dress, but like the first version. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's so gorgeous, and it's only on stage for like a number and a half. Two numbers. You know what? I have a quick fun fact for you about Raven's wedding dress, the original one. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. Yeah, it's actually made by French Connection, and you can purchase it online like right now if you have like $165 laying around that you don't know what to do with. You can buy Raven's wedding dress, cut off the bottom. There you go. You're Raven. All right. I'll save that. I'll keep that in mind for when my non-existent boyfriend proposes. Anyway, that's my first favorite costume in the show. My second favorite, I really like 
the pants that the character Ledoux gets to wear. This is very specific. Yes. I think they're so fun. They're jeans that kind of have like a funky bell bottom and they have like stars and colorful patches all over them. And honestly, that's something I would wear in real life. I think they're so funky. Uh, I also actually recently got a bracelet inspired by those pants. Shout out to Daisy Chains by M, run by our lovely M, who, if you love the costumes in Bad Out of Hell, you can buy jewelry inspired by them. Yay! M has, like, every costume from Bat turned into, like, bracelet form. It's pretty darn cool. Yeah, and I have really wimpy wrists, so wearing a bracelet is hard for me, but M has all the different sizes. so. It doesn't fall off my wrist at all. Definitely would recommend that. Amazon Etsy. Anyway, my third favorite, it's not really a favorite, but it's Olive Sloan's Closet, but specifically the red blouse, black skirt, um, like power suit moment for it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Super cool. Since I mentioned it um, just a moment ago, most of the clothes in Bat that you see are actually bought on like... Asus? I don't know if I'm saying that right. ASOS? ASOS? ASUS. It's an O, not a U. (laughs) Where do you get sauce from? How do you say SOS? ASUS. You don't say for SOS. You're not like. Zeus. SOS. Sauce. You just. It's. That's confusing because you just say the letters SOS. Yeah, but the O sound for SOS is the same as ASOS. It's not sauce AU, it's a hard O. (laughs) Mind Mind blown. It's on ASUS. It's on ASUS. (laughs) Whatever the site is called, that is where a lot of the costumes actually came from. You can find a bunch of them still on there. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of the Germany costumes were actually different for the ensemble. A lot of them came from ASOS. <laughs> um, yeah, so most of what you see on stage you can find online in corners of the internet. Just thought I'd let you know that. Um, but my three favorite costumes are I love Raven's play suit. Mmm, so cute. It's so cute. It's not in the show for long enough. I'm glad that now with the tour in New York City version, we get one extra scene of Raven in the playsuit. It's so cute. Gosh, what else do I love? I love... Wait, where's the extra one? Um, after Bat Out of Hell, the intro to Act 2. <gasps> oh! Yeah, yeah she Act 2 is different. I just kind of lumped that in into the end of Act 1 in my mind, yeah, but you are too. definitely correct. I remember nothing. Ten seconds later. Ten seconds later. Oh my god, we'll get to that, <laughs> I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love the play suit. I actually really like, um, I was going to say Andrew Pollock, Strat's shirt in Bat Out of Hell, the song, which is also only in there for one song. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, the ball shirt. Yes. Yeah, well, because he, thro- he throws yeah. it away and then he dies, so he, he couldn't it. go back to get his shirt. Which actually also makes its way into another scene in the show. Oh, right, the exact but same yeah. scene, ten seconds later. Ten seconds ten later. Ten seconds later. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, I always, I like that one a lot. Um, And I love Raven's birthday dress, of course. I also really like... 
So you said you like Sloane's power suit, and I like the one that replaced it in body, the one that kind of looks like Daphne from Scooby-Doo, like her colors. Um. Oh, yeah. So it's this lovely it's the like, green leopard print, purple, purple skirt combo. Yeah. I'm, I've grown yeah. to love it. It's different. But I still like that black and red. It so suits the color palette of the show in my brain for me. But the green and purple totally. does very much blend with the Falco color yeah. palette. So. Yes. It just looks very young. Because it's like leopard, um, turquoise-ish, greenish top with like a magenta skirt. Mm-hmm. It's cute. It is cute. I just, there's something about that red and black contrast that just pops, especially then when mm. you have Falco come in in the blue suit instead of like the purple or black, which yes. he's worn previously. Or white. What's mm-hmm. his other suit? Anyway, the blue suit is just, it's, <laughs> it's very good. It's very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. And all of these costumes are, I think. That's why it's so hard to pick a favorite because yeah, they're so well suited to the production. And also they're just so visually appealing. And I'm a stage manager's worst nightmare. And I say that as somebody who has stage managed, but I look at costumes and stuff in shows and Bat uses texture in such a great way and so differently for each character. Like I just, I want to, I want to touch the costumes. I get such a physical feeling when I see them because like each character has very specific, like not just color palette, but texture palette as well. It's genius. But not anymore. And that's what throws me off because like you, having done work in that field, it's like I loved the ensemble members in this show, um, the ensemble characters, sorry, because their color palettes in their costumes, the textures, it was all very different. And now they're using like um like this cheapy latex looking stuff. It's all in red and black only. And it kind of dulled it down, even though it makes them look more uniform. I liked that they kind of looked like they found their um clothing in like a dumpster or something and threw it together. It feels more it feels kind of like um the costumes in We Will Rock You. Yeah, you know, I kind of want a mix of both almost. I want it to look like they found it in a dumpster, but I like the use of the uniform color just in how it looks like during a dance number. It's very like it's very cool to watch, <laughs> but also because like if you think about it as like a survival thing within the context of the show, it's kind of like that's how they can like scout each other out. I don't know. Now with the new version, um, I know in New York they all had mostly sort of like different costumes. It wasn't all the same black and um, red anymore. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, that was kind of a good mix. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I actually mm-hmm. forgot about that until you just mentioned it. And, you know, since we're talking about the costumes, these are some like iconic ensemble costumes. Mm-hmm. Like for me, they're very, it's very much like Wicked in the sense mm-hmm. of ensemble costumes that just like jump right out of you jump right out at you and they're just they're very distinctive to the show and I love the costumes I think it was John Bowser who did them and so yes shout out to him because I love them shout before we do a whole other podcast episode on the costuming of bad out of hell Chrissy what's your favorite version of the show because I know that you have seen about four different versions I think sounds about right 
honestly, I say this all the time. Yeah, technically I've seen like four different versions of Bat, but every time I've seen Bat, even in the same location, <laughs> they've changed it. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like I saw, <laughs> for example, um, the New York City run at New York City Center in New York City. Really? It's in New York? The New York City wow. Center is in New York City? That just, that took a I lot of brain no power idea. there for a moment. Anyways, yes, that production, we went to the first preview, went back the next night, completely different show. Like, everything had changed pretty much in terms of what was new and at it. And, um, yeah. And then I went back at the end of the run, totally different show again. Like, I'm not kidding when I say every time I see this show, it is different. I've never experienced a show like that before. At least when I go to see Wicked for, like, the eighth time, I know I'm going to get the same thing, more or less. But with Bat, I never know what's happening. I never know what's coming next. All that to say, um, yeah, so the four versions I saw were the original Toronto run, I saw the Dominion run, I saw the tour that was cancelled, and then New York City Center, and these, contrary to uh, popular belief, were all very different from each other. So I would go with the tour, which was very different from New York City Center, and no one believes me still, but it was so different! It was so different! Every time I say it, people are like, yeah, I hated it in New York City. I'm like, no, you don't understand! It was not the same thing at all. It was so... The vibe was completely different to begin with. There was some added dialogue that I loved in New York as well, but it was kind of like too much at times a little bit, even though I did I did enjoy that. Um, but yeah, the, the touring production that was cancelled in the US was unlike any other version I've seen in terms of storytelling. Yeah, I just... I loved it. I loved it. And I know... A lot of people who also saw Bat the first time in Toronto, like, tch, 70 times, they also loved the tour version best because the vibe was so different. And then they went to New York like us and were like, oh, yeah, even though it's, like, more on the same lines as what we saw a few months earlier on the tour, it was completely different. So, yeah. What about you? You know, I have to agree with you on the fact that, yeah, the tour version was very different to New York, even though they were like, they were similar. They were more similar than, say, Dominion to New York, but the tour was quite different from New York. And, but yeah, I, uh, anyway, my point is I 100% agree with you. It was a very different vibe, although I have to say I've seen three different versions. I saw both Toronto versions, so the original one, the original one, and then I saw the tour, and then I saw New York. You know, I've had a freaking great time at all of them. So this isn't like, this isn't like that for us, obviously. It's an enjoyable show no matter where you go. But I really, really liked the tour. I really did. There was something... There was just something else about it. You know, so many people are so quick to be like, hey, you're just saying that because it's like a different cast or whatever. We're not trying to be controversial. We really did enjoy the tour version. No matter who was in the cast, it was just a better script in our opinion. And you know, it's not even entirely script changes because I know that New York kept a fair bit of the script changes that the tour did mm -hmm. uh, and then made some more, which I mean is awesome. This is what's so great, I think, about Bad Out of Hell and being a fan of it for as long as we have 
it's still a relatively young show. It's not something like Wicked that's been running for over a decade. It, you know, debuted in front of an audience as this essential structure in 2017. So it's like maybe a four-year-old musical. It's still growing and learning and developing. And how awesome is it that we as audience members and fans get to see all of these different um, versions of it? I think it's awesome. And, you know, I did love the tour. I did love the tour um, best. And it's hard to put into words because not a lot of people saw it. It's the vibe was the vibe was different. The vibe was different. And that's the best way I can describe it. But honestly, I could probably talk for hours about what I liked about each separate version because there was just there's so much to love. So here's a really fun question. (laughs) That has had some crazy changes, as we mentioned. What is the wildest plot or moment you've witnessed in the show? Listen, this isn't one that I've witnessed, but I have to bring it up. Mm -hmm. I will bring this up every single time somebody asks me about changes in Bad Out of Hell because (laughs) it's great. So if you've been following along with us for a while or you just listened to our bad episodes, you know that we did a little reunion with Simon Gordon, Danielle Steers, and Ben Perkis. Um to talk about the show. And Ben Perkis told us (laughs) that in the very early, early days of the show, in the rehearsal room, there was a version where at the end, where the Lost swarm Falco to transform him into a decent person, that instead of like just the swarm or costume change or whatever, they tore him limb from limb and ate him. (laughs) And I have never... (laughs) been more shocked in my entire life you know when we do these interviews I try to look you know professional even when I'm shocked I try to oh wow that's that's really cool my jaw dropped it was wide open you could have passed a boat through there I was like (gasps) that's brilliant I'm gonna tell anyone who will listen about this as for things that I witnessed I don't think I've witnessed anything like actually crazy oh wait I have Um, On the first night of New York City Center, I don't know whose idea this was, and this isn't like any shade or anything, but I was so surprised for Sloane to open her mouth and she had this flashlight. Yeah, so she had this flashlight, which like the flashlight made sense. I was like, okay, she's telling her daughter a spooky story, but the voice that was used, I'm not sure. It was like. I'm not sure what that was. I was very surprised by it. Mm. Um, I mean, I had a giggle. It's still, I still enjoyed the show. It didn't affect my overall enjoyment, but it was just a moment of what? And then the next night I went back and it wasn't there. It was interesting. (laughs) What is the wildest thing you've seen, Chrissy? Sorry, I'm just processing the memory of Pirate Sloan. I love and dislike Pirate Sloan so very much. No, but actually that was the one time at bat where I was like, oh no, what is this? <laughs> it was just so unexpected. <laughs> but you know what? You know, with bat, I've come to expect the unexpected <laughs> and, it, and it's always, yes, it's always enjoyable. You know, there's been some like moments that were, okay, I'll start with one. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm like, I have a list in my head now. Okay, so the funniest and wildest to me is still during the tour when we came back from intermission, we still didn't know like what was going to happen 
in Act 2 because we had heard the rumors of um, Land of the Pig being cut and all that stuff. We could see that there was, like, no pool on stage by now. Um, so we really didn't know. And then Sloane starts just, like, walking across the stage, sort of like what Strat does with the Lost Girls before the show actually starts. So it was kind of like that. We're all, like, just hanging out at intermission and Sloane's on stage pacing. And then there's, like, this big, like, loud sound and the screen flashes and it says, 10 seconds later! <laughs> Raven comes running in. Oh my god, I lost it because... I like it. It's campy. It is. And when you're seeing a musical, your, like, vision of time kind of goes away. You know what I mean? Everything feels like it's in one or two days. And in Bat Out of Hell, the show does take place within, like, a day and six months later at the end of Act 2. It goes... It jumps from, like, two days... And then all of a sudden it's like six months later, which is another wild moment. I'm still convinced that they want it to fit in the song I Would Do Anything for Love. And because at the end of the show, everyone's like, spoiler alert, Tink was just shot by Falco. No! Sloane runs away, which is still like, what? You're leaving your daughter with this awful dad? Anyways, so Sloane leaves and then it's like six months later. Strat shows up. He hasn't seen her in six months, but today he's like, you know what, friends? I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the Raven's window and then we're gonna sing. I would do anything for love. So that whole like ten minutes sorry, ten seconds later and then six months later is still like the weirdest time frame to me, but also hilarious. Now another one. That is so funny to me that you and I both saw on the second night of Bat was when Sloan smothers Raven with a pillow and she de- she does like the mommy dearest mother dearest mommy oh dearest yes I liked scene. the mommy dearest moment oh my god she's like I hate you I love you I hate you I love you and it was just so random but so funny Lena Hall and- we love you oh my god Lena Hall Lena Hall she took like a scene that was like so serious and made it so funny oh my god but it was like the wildest moment i've seen because like she's smothering once again completely unexpected i loved it but actually chrissy that actually made me think of something that we also both experienced i think the wildest um plot twist bad out of hell ever threw at us was the time that the show stopped twice in one show (gasps) it was the second to last show of the tour so everyone knew that it had been canceled postponed yeah this was the matinee it was closing that matinee they were closing that evening you know we had gone in we already knew we were emotional about through fire frying pan there fire pan (laughs) frying pan there was a bit of like a skipping something something wasn't was off all of a sudden we go through two out what jocelyn means is apparently they used CDs for most of the tracks and the CD started skipping. I guess there was a scratch on it or something. So for like one minute, Andrew Pollock was like, she's so beautiful. And then it skipped and, and he's like, beautiful. And then it like <laughs> went into the song and then it kind of played through, but still was skipping a little bit. And we were like, that's weird. At the time, I didn't really realize that you could record um 
like the orchestra on CDs and play it. You know, I didn't like it didn't <laughs> sink in for me. I was kind of like, no. oh, maybe it's like an off show, but like something like sounded off. But I was like, oh, OK, maybe it's just me. That's always kind of like my default. And anyway, two out of three happens and then the show just stops. And I don't know about you, but I am always ready for paradise. It's like my favorite scene. And I was like, okay, I have two more chances to sing, to see this again ever in my life. Bring it. I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, Bradley Dean and Lulu Lloyd just blew me away. Well, I mean, every Sloan and Falco have blown me away with that. But I loved that tour pairing so much. I was ready. And the show just stopped. And my heart kind of stopped as well um, because, well, with the show's cancellation, we were like, what? Are they going to finish? Are they going to finish the show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my first Did they thought. just like quit? You know, it was so funny because um, on the tour, the automatics in the stage, is that what you call it? Yeah, the automatics in the stage, they don't actually work. So actors have to, well, I think only Strat's um, motorcycle works. The other prop pieces, so like the couch... Um, Jaguar's bike and all that, they have to physically move it off the stage and onto the stage. So um, all of a sudden, Jaguar is like walking the bike backwards as the lights are coming up. And at this point, they usually have that like, um, do they, don't they call it like the bastard version? They have the little of quirky who needs the paradise young. music yes. as everybody's setting up, right? Like the scene does a full yeah. transition. So you're not looking at the bike going off. You're like, ooh, birthday. And if you had, if you had listened to our previous podcast about that, you would know that um, I was very sick at this time. And <laughs> every time I would go to bat, I would panic and I would have to pee very badly because I would drink like five bottles of water to keep myself calm. So I would have to pee during Paradise because <laughs> in my brain, I was like, this is a nine minute song, basically. And I'm going to have to pee in the middle of the song. Panic. But this time I was like, I'm feeling so great today. My anxiety is good. I'm going to finally see Paradise on tour. And then the show stopped. It was a little bit before some like an announcement came on to tell us what was happening. So like there was a good moment of like heart stopping. Um, and then, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, we're just we're going to fix it or whatever. Technical, blah, blah, blah. And I remember finding Chrissy and being like, they paused it for your bathroom break. Yes. Everyone came up to me at intermission. They were like, they paused it so you could pee. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> did. And the funny thing is, she didn't have to pee. They paused the show so I could pee. Anyway, it it all came back and we were like, OK, we're good. We're good. Let's just enjoy. And then the show starts. For the second act and there was no music and there's no music and nothing happened and everything just kind of like froze and the lights came back on and I was like twice in one show I was like oh my goodness they are frying my nerves today and Bradley Dean came on stage um still holding a skull in his hand or something and he goes yeah at this point the audience was doing the breakfast club oh my God. whistle because it was like 15 minutes into what the hell's going on again. So everyone's sitting there doing the breakfast club whistle. Listen, there was no announcement. Were, that was started by the drunk people beside me. I was so embarrassed. Oh, I was like sinking down into my seat. I was like, I'm not with them. <laughs> uh, anyway, Bradley Dean, bless his heart, he comes out and he's like, hey guys, we love Toronto. We're just going to fix this and we're going to do it again. And everybody clapped. <laughs> anyway, um, the show continued. 
And then their final per- performance went out off without a hitch. And it was one of the most incredible uh, times I've ever been in a theater. The energy was unmatched. And uh, it ended up being a really fabulous day, but did not see those coming. My heart stopped. <laughs> we had to pee. But it everything did. worked itself out. It definitely out. did. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed this Bat Out of Hell themed episode once again. Yes, if you like Bat Out of Hell, goodness, we have a lot of Bat episodes up. We have our first one, which is a little less structured, but lots of babbling. We have our Bat Out of Hell reunion episode with Simon Gordon, Danielle Steers, and Benjamin Perkis. We've spoken with Simon Gordon about his upcoming role in Heathers as JD. And we also spoke with Zena Gushtart, the choreographer, about her current business. And we have some more Bat cast members joining us very soon. Yeah, so if you like Bat Out of Hell, you should hang out with us. Bat Out of Hell is going on the UK and Ireland tour. Tickets are on sale right now. You're going to want to get them because you're not going to want to miss it. Cast should be announced soon. Um, Yeah, very exciting. I am double vaxxed and the minute everything is opened up, I'm ready. And isn't Bad Out of Hell a great show to see after the year we've had? Go let your hair down and rock out, my pals. Yes, and we want to know if you do some Bat Out of Hell costume dress up. We want to see your photos because, like Jocelyn said, we're going to be living through you this time. And we might even share some of our own Bad Out of Hell costume Ooh. photos. I think we've each put Ooh. together a couple outfits from the show, so we can, we might share them. I think we already have, maybe. We also want to extend lots of love to Jim Steinman for giving us this beautiful, wacky, exciting show. We love it and love you so much. You are in our hearts always. Yeah, and we are thinking, of course, about his friends and family and other loved ones. We'd also love to send out a, a big thank you to Jacqueline for always keeping the bat out of hell and Jim Steinman pages so nicely organized. Jacqueline and Angie, we love you so dearly. Thank you for all that you do. And for crying out loud. You know we love you. Know, you. We love you. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. And together we are Breaking the Curtain. You can find us on Instagram at Breaking the Curtain. And we're on TikTok. So follow us there. It's still Breaking the Curtain. And you can find us dressing up and making fools out of ourselves. As well as episode teasers and snippets. Keep it safe. Keep it stagey. See you soon. Bye, Bye. guys.